0: Hey, Miguel Arati, Mike Davis, Lights Out Podcast. Chris Lytle about to join us, waiting in the wings. And we got another old-school, deep-dive, 50-fight club guy. Like, like you wouldn't believe, actually. Older school than Chris. Mike, tell, take it away. Who we got?
1: We got Dave Manet. So yeah. the thing about Dave is he the first 185-pound UFC world champion. Um the we are concentrating on the beginning of his career and just kind of like walking him up to that point. And we hope to revisit him later on with the second portion of his career. The the guy, um, the guy is an absolute living legend and incredibly interesting. And um, you know what? There isn't a lot of footage that exists on his fights. So like of the early fights. So I grabbed what I could and then I made phone calls on the other ones. So in terms of like research, Miguel, I honestly thought this thing was going to like bring me to the 30, 40 hour mark, but it was more like 16. It wasn't that bad. In regards to everybody that we go through, it was just mostly phone calls. It was was about 16 hours. So, I mean, you give me a guy that only takes 16 hours of research. I could do like four of those a week.
2: (laughs) Yeah,
0: it's fun. It's fun to watch the old fights too with Dave. He's such an old school guy. The thing about Dave is, is he's, he's got a reputation to being quiet, like not a yeah. big talker, but I think we're going to get real answers out of him yeah. too. I think he's going to be a dude that doesn't have like answers prepared for certain questions that he always faces and stuff. I think he's been a, a recluse. I think it's a real treat that he uh gave us this time and stuff. So I agree. Uh,
1: and
0: yeah. then on top of that,
1: guys, we're not asking for money we're not asking for any of that all we're asking for is a like share subscribe as or like if you're on itunes you guys can write anything you want in the reviews we don't even care like we legitimately don't care what you write there but what we do care is that five stars if you give five stars it helps us with our algorithms and by doing that it's literally like giving us money it's taking two seconds out of your time to help us out I put 16 hours into this interview. If you guys can give Miguel and I just two seconds of your time and give us a five-star review, it'd be awesome. We'd really appreciate it. So, Or,
0: or comment, any comments yeah, comment, right answer and knock them out. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, Dave, uh, Manet is our 51st interview and uh, you know, we'd like to be here a hundred more interviews down the line. So keep us in mind and uh, Hey, First 185-pound champion in the UFC's history, Dave Manet, coming aboard. We okay,
3: are. welcome back, everybody. Thank you for participating, no, no. listening, uh, whatever you guys do. So thank you. Um, another deep dive here. Very excited about this one. I have somebody with me today who has actually been doing this sport longer than me. Hard to believe. I know. <laughs> I started in, like, middle of 1998. Not sure we're going to find out when he started, but it was before me. I know that. Um Former champ of many different organizations, and uh, unfortunately, I was able to fight this gentleman once, but uh, it was a great uh, fighter. And uh, Dave Mane Dave, how the hell are you, brother?
4: I'm uh, doing well, and you?
3: Uh, I'm doing good, man. Just uh, enjoying life right now. So um, you still in Indiana? You know, I still am, man. I've been here for the you know pretty much my whole life. I've been on the fire department now 20 years. So yeah, it's been a it's been a long time. <laughs> Okay. Good job, Dave. It
0: definitely is nice to meet you again. You know, we uh go a little bit further back, you know, to the hook and shoot days and, and, and stuff. So I'm very eager to in, introduce you. I used a, a similar intro for somebody, but it really applies to you. You know, some guys travel a path less traveled, look for a path less traveled, right? But mm-hmm. that's not Dave Manet. Dave Monet blazed his own path. That's his own, mm-hmm. you know, he just went down his own path and did it because you know when Chris says you, you're talking oh, about no. a guy who was fighting before him, like to me, he was one of the first guys that was like a mixed martial artist. Like, for like, you can really consider that even before the coin the term was coined with the submission stand up and the combination game. Like, I think you know, mm-hmm. even predates Jeremy Horn as a legend in terms of technique in my book. So, Dave Minet, thank you very much for joining us. First 185 pound UFC champion. I don't mm-hmm. even think we'll get to that today, right, Mike.
2: No, no.
1: So today <laughs> today, what we're going to do, Dave, with you is we're going to concentrate on your pre-UFC. And yeah. here, the pre-UFC stuff is a lot harder to find. And it's yeah. a lot harder to find because there's not a lot out there on it. So a lot of our interviews, we kind of like to bounce back and forth. But, you know, Chris, I, and Miguel, we kind of like to focus on that no-holds-barred era
4: which and there's a lot of Yankee stuff that happened back in the day obviously it happens it a lot of promotions now but I mean there's also the reality there's judges that aren't judges and you know all sorts of weird things no, going on crying. so right. now, now,
3: crowd, now Dave it, do you have a lot of fights that aren't even on your record I know for myself I probably had 10 to 15 fights at Never yeah, there's there's
4: there's, there's a deep yeah there's a decent decent amount that would have been like pre-Mani that would have been basically not much farther off from like in a ring or like a tournament one of, the, of, of tough guys basically.
1: In essence, one of your careers crazy with the amount of fights that you had. Obviously, fifty fight club member Chris. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, but you really didn't have a lot of soft fights, it, and no. the ones. You did have, you didn't know they were soft until later on because these people were kind of like at the beginning of their of their yeah. soft career, you know, so to mm-hmm. say. And Miguel had mentioned hook and shoot. Obviously, that, that's where you guys had, had first met and, and hooked up. On April 4th, 1997, he fought in Evansville, Indiana. Hook and shoot one, the very first um, hook and shoot. Mm-hmm. How many fights do you think you had before this that are not on record?
4: Um. I- Eight, maybe eight to ten.
3: So. Ooh. Yeah. Where were those fights at?
4: Yeah. <laughs> Get, uh, it was at a club.
3: <laughs> or at what state? I mean, was it was in Minnesota. It, or we ever...
4: it was in Minnesota, yeah. It wouldn't have <laughs> been the same though. It would not have been entirely legal at the time. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: so, so like, this was kind of like an underground circuit at this time. You know, the internet really wasn't what it is today. So in order to get involved with hook and shoot one you're in Minnesota this is southern mm. tip of, of Indiana how mm. does that connection happen
4: um Miguel I'm, I mean maybe in the process I, I don't know if Greg it because I was tr- training at that point I think at Greg's so I don't know if that came that actually might have came through Rankin because I ran into Rankin at the cold house fights and then after running into him there, he started training at the academy. And I think he was trying to find the fights in different places. So it could have been through him or it could have been through Greg, in all honesty. Um, so because at that point, I I was looking at doing before the cold house fights and before hook and shoot, I was looking to do some leg kick fights around. I think I had possibly done. I did one in uh, uh, Milwaukee and I ended up fighting Golden Glove. Boxing champion from New York, which wasn't a good idea, but um <laughs> I survived. I did not win, <laughs>
2: so,
4: but I think at that so, point I don't. Even, I don't even think I had sparred yet. I, I I just and it was with leg pads, and nah, not a good idea. But I lived through it. So, so Dave, I usually like to ask this
3: beforehand, but I forgot. Uh, but can you give us a little bit about your background? Like, what got you into this? Were you a wrestler? Were you a kickboxer? What was your athletic background, and what got you into fighting?
4: I did uh, some Taekwondo, like really young, um, and then I got into wrestling, and I wrestled uh, into high school, uh, state finals, team one state. I was recruited by the U and a few other places, um, and I ended up walking on in Iowa for a few years. Um, wow. Oh,
3: wow. Wow, I did not know that.
4: Wow. Um, I, did. I, mean, it, <laughs> but, I did not start there, so that's, you know, that's yeah. would be one caveat. I did meet some decent people in some opens, uh, starters, I believe, one All-American possibly if I recall, um, and a couple starters. But towards the end of it, my arm was pretty much wrecked, and um, I ended up traveling around the country for some time. So. <laughs> nice. And so, how did you, you land
0: in Minneapolis?
4: um i was originally from minneapolis but i think after college i ended up in new york for a little while and um then i ended up in utah and then i ended up in santa fe and then i ended up back in minneapolis i got you so no so i was uh I, I i ended up working in utah for a little while uh salt in salt lake city um then i went down to first place i probably really started training was uh in New Mexico, um, somebody that one of my brother, brothers knew, and it was actually one of the original dog brothers. I don't know if you're familiar with them. So it was the, they did the full contact stick fighting and stuff. Oh, so, okay, oh, yeah. I do remember them. So I, I stayed not for a long period of time, but I started. I trained a little Muay Thai with him, um, and then um, wow, they were making up. a run
1: at like a like they had a big PR push for a minute like they were trying to get like the big next sport was that stick fighting
4: yeah they were trying to get it they were trying to like do a segue between that and the ufc i'd lost contact with them and i would i wasn't close i mean great people but we weren't talking all the time my brother knew them better um than i did (sighs) um and but um I recall that tr- hearing that they were trying to get that approved on one of the original UOCs, but there's no way the insurance would have covered it. So, <laughs> so Chris, right. essentially they had like like a mesh helmet,
1: like a weave basket, and they had sticks, and they just beat the crap out of each other like on the beach. <laughs> uh,
3: I love it.
1: It's like bum fights, but.
3: <laughs> a little
1: different.
2: Yeah, was, so, so they you brought up a couple me. of
3: times. Dave, you brought up a couple of times uh, the cold house fights. Can you Mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about that? Or is that messing you up, Mike? Or how's Mm -hmm. this work?
0: No, if I remember correctly, he came to hook and shoot with those fights on there. I thought they were misdated on, on Dog and the records and stuff, but they aren't even on his official record. So take us through what is the cold house fights.
4: (laughs) Yeah. It was just a group of, uh, hooligans that ended up in the middle of wisconsin i believe it was supposed to be at a gymnasium and then, and then eventually got stopped or was we were told it was originally in a gymnasium and they decided to ferry us to this cold house in the middle of wisconsin and that's all i remember is it was cold um and i guess Madame morris was there at the time fighting and uh, john rankin and a few other people and i just remember going getting ready and taking my socks off because i've been doing jiu-jitsu for a little while so i was planning on you know trying to cement the person right and i remember getting started and being like i hope this like goes like we start quick and i'm going to finish this quick because my feet are freezing so (laughs) that that is that's my pre- predominant memory. We had people in front of the windows and the radiators. So people, no one went flying through the windows. So. <laughs> was, there, was there any crowd
3: there? Was there any fans or was this guys fighting?
4: There was, there was a crowd of people watching, yeah. They, the crowd of people were in front of the windows and the radiators and stuff, making sure no one went through the, anything. <laughs> so it was, was obviously... Was there cash prizes? What's up? Was there a cash prize? And I don't think there was much for cash, no. Maybe, Thanks, maybe a little bit. It was long ago. to wouldn't have been much. 50 bucks, travel money, gas, hamburger. <laughs> who was the promoter? Uh, I think it was Morris. Or something. Uh,
1: Henry Matamoros. Hey, that's why you love that guy so much.
4: No, it was Morris. I, yeah, it was Henry, Morris. Was
1: what, yeah, Henry was the fought.
0: I, I know Henry. The, Henry's end of this story was that, that, that somewhere in there, there was an eight-man tournament where Henry and Rankin were in there, and I uh, thought that David won the tournament, but, you know. No, I wasn't are... in the tournament. Oh, okay. But there was a tournament that day.
4: I might have been in the tournament, actually, but in a different one. I wasn't in Henry's and Rinkers.
0: Oh, okay. I got you. Okay. So, I, yeah,
4: I, I'm it's... trying to even remember how many people I fought, if it was one or two or three. And, uh, it, it was, uh, <laughs> it, it it was just, cold. Uh, <laughs> cold house. Cold house. <laughs> I remember it was cold, yeah. I mean, it was, yeah. It was. Uh,
1: Wait, was this like on carpet or was there a mat?
4: I I think it was a hard floor mat. I would. This was
0: basement.
4: <laughs> no, it was, it was on the main floor, but it was it was like the it was like nine, early nineteen hundreds, like farmhouse basically. Oh um, man! Oh, did you so have to like was, move uh, the furniture out of the way? Oh, it was abandoned. It was a ba- abandoned. Oh. Oh, yeah.
2: heard Either oh, someone was
4: selling it, or someone knew someone, or I, or we broke in. I mean, you know, or I didn't break in. They they told us to go there, so it was it was that's going to get called off. And obviously, I was young and dumb and and uh, whatever. So, uh, <laughs> see, this so, this
3: is even old, more old school than me. I love it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, the journey that I have starts on April fourth, nineteen ninety seven. The original hook and shoot, the very first hook and shoot that ever took place, and you fought in a pancreas tournament, but it was an eight-man pancreas
4: tournament. Yeah.
1: Do you recall it?
4: Yeah, that. I, I, yeah, I recall it. I remember landing some good knees and some uh, kicks and um, um, and uh, grappling. And I, I, I believe I dominated pretty well. In all honesty, at this time, like. Jiu-Jitsu
1: here in the United States was not at a very high level. You Mm -hmm. had mentioned earlier you worked out with Greg. I'm assuming you meant Greg Jackson.
0: No, No. No.
1: Greg Nelson. I apologize. Greg Nelson, famed Pedro Sauer black belt, Uh, one of the first in the country. Chris, I apologize for that. Um, (laughs) You win this tournament. You start with Dwayne Bressinger, and you win by armbar at 237. Mm-hmm. You go on to Adam Fisher, which is your second fight listed. Mm-hmm. You win by rear naked choke. And in the third fight, the finals, you defeat Sean Kultas again by armbar.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, was Greg Nelson in your corner at this time?
4: Uh, I, think, I think Rankin might have been cornering me anonymously you know, because we traveled down there together because he was going to fight the next day. So
1: He yeah. fought a
4: tournament the very next day. Yes. Yeah, I think, did, did he fight, uh, he fought the big heavyweight guy at, in the finals, I think, or towards yeah. the finals. There was. Yeah, some uh, he lost he, to the finals. Yeah, it was some big, big guy. So. Frank, Frank Amalfitano. Yeah. yeah, but no, and then the, the little, the... <laughs> I guess it'd be an insult, the hairy little guy. <laughs> <And>, oh. <of course, laughs> personality. He, did he, didn't he win? Phil Truffolino? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, Phil Straffolino is one of one of those little <laughs> hook and shoot legend legend guys. Yeah, but you know, he, did was, he, fun. he yeah. was
4: funny. He was Steve's tough and but but a quirky dude. So. Yeah, definitely yeah. definitely one of those.
0: The
1: amazing thing about Phil Struffolino's career is that he ends it at three and five, and mm-hmm. all three of his wins came in a tournament, including against John Rankin. So yeah. he just he never picked up another win after that.
4: Yeah, well, I mean he he it's like it's not like he was gonna probably get to strike very well. So I think when he started to get more people that understood I'd have to look at who he fought, you know, and obviously he should have probably had a,
0: a Yeah, like we him in his last fight was Aaron Riley, and yeah, I think not was, idea. Yeah. yeah, I think what you're saying is, is shows there. He was yeah, a limited I mean, grappler, but he
4: was exciting as hell. He was a limited grappler and he was he was tough, but in that, I, I just I, you, you can't perceive him necessarily becoming a high-level striker just by body type and his nature, if it makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Not that I knew him very well, but just by the small interactions I had and watching him move, it would, it would have taken some time to mm-hmm. uh, to uh, get that out of him. So, but, well, and, and
3: plus he's winning but, tournaments a bit. I bet mean, after that he probably fought tough guys every time. You know what I mean? He <laughs> wins tournament like throwing them in tough, throwing them in tough, throwing them in tough. tough. So he probably didn't get easy fights.
4: Yeah, so, yeah. He fought yeah, a I mean, three
0: hundred pounder for us too in a in a uh, fight that he, he just said, "All right, I'll do I'll do it like that day, yeah. that kind of thing." Yeah, so, uh. so definitely a hook and shoot legend. D- thanks, uh, Dave. I was your fight though was Tim Wills, and uh-huh. t- t- well, you know I, I feel go ahead, Mike.
2: Well, yeah. So so you
0: gave those three fights, in a true, uh-huh. I mean, Miguel, were you involved with hook and shoot at this time? No, I wasn't, and I I, <laughs> I want to make a minor correction. The first real hook and shoot. Was May of '96 when Gary Myers fought and Gaza Kalman fought, Uh, Mm -hmm. Nick Starks fought Gary Myers. That was, but this one is called Hook and Shoot One, Absolute Fighting One. You're right. A lot of people do that, but just for the record, uh, that one predated it. But this was a back to back night. So he fought a Pancreas tournament Friday night, and that was in uh, probably the War Memorial uh, that, that we usually booked. And then he's the legendary knight in the wood panels uh
4: dojo, where whatever his name's Jim or Scott
0: whatever. Sullivan. Yeah.
4: it's
0: probably Scott Sullivan's gym. So, so
1: with Scott's with well, in Scott yeah, Sullivan's hey, he gym, funny, that was April 5th, and on that show, you fought Tim Willis, mm-hmm. where you got a knockout. So, Chris, we're talking about in one weekend, the guy fights an eight man tournament one day. And then the next day, signs up and fights one more time. I
4: mean, were you kind of pressured into this, or were you just not banged no, up from the I mean, tournaments? I I mean, I mean, there were decent fights, but I think most of them, I, I I, you know, I wasn't banged up that much, and I felt like, okay, let's try it, let's keep going, I guess. So uh, whatever, yeah, I, I, man, I, can't I can't say I was, uh, I, I can't say I always made the best decision. So, I mean, like we, if we go way forward, we're now way forward, mid I fought the Kuwait tournament, uh, eight man tournament, one of the tougher tournaments, you know, ever by some people's standards. And then I had three days, uh, you know, basically three days getting home. So the eighth to the 11th or 12th. And then I flew out the 16th for an 08 class tournament in Tokyo and fought on the 24th again. So oh with, my God. My, with my ribs were subpluxed in my hand, I couldn't close, I think probably till the day of the fight. I still couldn't close my hand, basically the day, the day of the fight with adrenaline, I was able to close my hand and fight. Well I was still gonna fight, but I couldn't close on the airplane ride, I still couldn't comfortably close my hand. <laughs>
0: I'm gonna gamble that between Kuwait and Tokyo, you made more money than in Evansville. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, do you remember? And, and this is obviously way back. Do you remember mm. the fight purse for that early pancreas tournament that you did?
3: You can throw Miguel on blast, aren't you, Mike?
4: That's real. Nah, cool. It's before Miguel. Yeah. Okay, you're Jeff right. Heisbord. I'm
3: sorry, you're right. Yeah, you're
4: right. yeah. I, I don't I think it was travel money, basically. So, yeah,
3: yeah.
0: Dude, some what? Cheetos.
4: So did you get a breathe.
0: belt? Did you get a belt? Because that that was yeah, too- I got a belt. Yeah, that that's yeah. typically what Jeff would
4: do with the pancreas, <laughs> is offer a belt, I and mean, that actually attracts a lot of people too. So you're not kidding. So yeah, I got a belt, and I, I might have got some travel money and some food. I can't, I can't a you know, hotel. I I and I, I think I got some in you know, a hotel maybe, and I got some money f- I think for the fight the next day. Maybe that's why I fought. Pay 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 for uh, subway in, in in almost- my home.
1: Mm -hmm. that's fantastic Mm -hmm. all right so it's april april 5th 1997 and you know dave some would wonder about your mental capacity at this time because you go right into extreme challenge five where you fight another four-man tournament Mm -hmm. on april 18th 1997 Mm -hmm. which is like a couple weeks later
4: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so yeah. You, a, you're putting about a level.
1: year's worth of mileage on you in just a couple of
4: weeks' time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I have a tendency not to make good decisions uh, decisions sometimes. But.
3: but you know what? Back then, especially you know, a lot of these fights, you weren't taking any damage. You were dominating, and mm-hmm. the body was young. I mean, uh, I remember mm-hmm. getting hurt all the time, and it wouldn't it heal up quick. And even think about it. And like we looked at my stuff, I was fighting every three weeks too. So it just feels like. Back then, that's what you did. You just fought all the time. There wasn't it wasn't like obviously these people were doing it. We were doing it for fun and the love of the sport because there wasn't much money in it. So you just do it because it's something you enjoyed to do. You could tell.
4: Well, yeah, and and experience, getting the experience, and trying to I um, guess get get better. So mm-hmm. there's only one way to get better is to do it. So. Yep. So
0: you know what I wanted to ask you, Dave, is and I think you kind of you know you're too, kind of like too classy to say it, but. The, the truth is, is at Hook and Shoot, you were you were a class above that competition. All four guys, really. Yeah, and yeah. Although, you know, you're, you're logging competition. But as Mike pointed out, the extreme challenge, this was no longer the case. Talk about, you know, when you realize that or how, you know, how that played into, into the, you know, how you felt when you well, had to that- step up there. Because now Laverne Clark and Sheldon Carter in the same tournament, yeah. that's really Ooh. no joke. <laughs>
4: yeah, I mean, La- Laverne is a... Pro, I mean, I think he was doing some pro boxing and a state champion. Obviously, he went on to other people didn't know them because of you know some of his wins uh, and being in the OFC. Winsor Iha, John Lewis, um, and yeah. a few other people. So yeah, I mean that's and he hits hard. So, um, <laughs> you know, but he 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 has a weakness in submission, So, but it's obviously. Considerably step up in uh, competition all of a sudden because now you're you're dealing with people that are have been fighting somewhat professionally. So, okay. And are, uh, so, so with Laverne Clark, was there even weigh-ins for this fight? Yeah, the, well, I weighed in. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And oh, I, was this I your... always made I always made weight, and I always weighed in. This, this is on me. So I would now, imagine there wins i've I've heard of some shenanigans here and there about stuff but i i weighed in yeah and so everyone what, what, what was at that everyone would have been around at that weight or around that weight. that was 170 so
2: okay
4: so
1: and, um, and this was we just did a deep dive with money on this actual yeah. event because it's it is a legendary event and uh-huh. i know you rematched shoney carter later on but uh-huh. you fight liver and clark you win by triangle um uh, uh-huh. Not an easy fight, obviously, future UFC veteran. And then you wind up in the finals against Shoni Clark where you lose a decision. Is this the first time you had ever lost a match?
4: Uh, yeah, that would be the first time I lost a match in, in uh, mixed martial arts or NHB, I guess. So it was a split decision loss. Um, and Horn gave, I think Horn was the judge that gave me the decision. So uh, Jeremy Horn, him, I believe, was the, just one of the judges. So um, it was, I, if I recall, back and forth, I predominantly went through submissions and Shoney um, uh, wriggled out of them back and forth, had position. Um, I think Horn, obviously, I think uh, probably scored higher for the submission mm-hmm. attempts because he had to try to force himself out and the other judges scored the other way. It's a long, long time ago. And maybe that could possibly be wrong or Horn could at some point told me I scored. I judged you winning, but I, I believe he was a judge at that. So, <laughs> Got you.
0: That makes sense.
4: And his, so. his upper body is his upper body throws
1: and his control. It's so deceiving. It's, mm-hmm. it's not something you, you're normally used to seeing in a normal wrestling mm-hmm. gym.
4: Mm -hmm. yeah i mean that that was a a little bit ago i would have been and i i would have been not concerned i would have probably wanted to go down in all honesty at that time because i'd just come off the hook and shoot and armbar to everybody so i think i was predominantly going for submissions i would have been able to out wrestle laverne and i got laverne in a triangle so um, yeah laverne hit like a mat truck though
1: he is just, a, I mean, his hands were special in, yeah. in the early days of MMA. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh,
4: yeah, he, he, he was, and he was long, hit hard. So, but uh, it's a little bit ago.
0: I, yeah, yeah cool. I, think
4: I, might have had the, I think I might have had the fight at some point. So I just remember transitioning a lot, as far as I recall, transitioning a lot uh, in between arm bars, triangles, and various other attempts. And it kind of going back and forth, um, yeah And like I said, I think uh, I think J- Horn was a judge. Horn was one of the judges. I can't comment on another two. So,
3: you know, you know, if you look into Shoney's, especially earlier in his career, the dude was extremely tough to submit. You know, Horn, he was just always there. I mean, he, he was extremely. He, it wasn't until later in his career when he got older that he was able to get submitted. But man, that guy is able to get out of a lot of stuff. He was just, um, I think,
4: way ahead of his Elusive. time. He
3: was just very yeah very very tough to finish.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was very tough to finish, and he stayed on the outside when he struck when he was striking, so he stayed on the outside, I don't know necessarily necessarily overly committed, so he didn't always hit the hardest, I don't know, I would say, but he uh understood range well so, and, and, and he, he knew who had to breathe,
1: breathe and he was always yeah. in shape. He never like he was always in shape, Shawnee Carter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He had uh, Bob Shermer in his corner. We just interviewed him. I think it, you know, by the time this mm-hmm. airs, it's, it's, it already, you know, be on our playlist, but yeah, he had mentioned it was just a dog fight. And so it was probably his hardest fight to date. You know, that's, that's in the top three, you know, that mm-hmm. fight between yourself and, and, and Tim. Um, so your record online is probably off on us because you're kind of ravenous and the way mm-hmm. you're taking fights so the next fight online that I could find so that was April 18th of 97 and then February 27th of 98 you show up in an extreme challenge again
4: okay was, was there anything now? in between there I I would have I, I don't possibly <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'd, I'd, I'd have to sit down more and think about it in all honesty so probably not though so I don't think so
0: Correct. After the Shoney loss, you, you might have taken some time off or, or stuck to, you know, by Greg Nelson for technique or like, how, how did, what, I
4: think actually, I think I ended up in North Carolina. So, yeah, okay. I, yeah, I ended up in North Carolina after that. So I was living in Raleigh, Durham for a little while. So, okay. Good training uh, there or were you kind of on your own? Uh, I was looking for ju- uh, looking for a jiu-jitsu place and prep training a little bit on my own. So and then uh and then eventually I ended up however long, about the time probably a couple months before my the, the next fight would you know, I would have probably been back in Minnesota for about four months, but I had only been training maybe for a little just a little bit and I fought again. So.
0: Okay, so it takes some time off. got you. So yeah.
1: there, there's, there's like an MMA footnote, uh, February 27th, 1998 stream challenge. You know, once again, you're mm-hmm. with Monty Cox and I'm mm-hmm. assuming Monty is not managing you at this point, um, because he keeps feeding you wolves. You fight mm-hmm. Jesse Jones, <laughs> oh, who yeah. never made it to the UFC. But if you look at his record, you're like, I mean, mm-hmm. he, I, I think if the guy would have fought one more fight it probably would have been in the UFC. Mm-hmm. Um, TJ Thompson is also the ring announcer. He's the promoter for Super Brawl. Um, a lot of mm-hmm. MMA history happening right there between yourself, Monty Jones, and TJ Thompson all in one building.
4: Yeah. So, yeah, I, I fought Jones. I think that would probably be my only loss by submission ever. Um, and that, uh, yeah, Jones was special. Think- that was in Myers. Um, uh, Gary Myers fought the headline fight, I think, for that. Okay. Well, if I recall right. So, Let me, But I, I can't... Uh, I yeah, don't recall exactly. It was Gary Myers' hometown, wasn't there, or something, I think, if, if I can recall right? So Yeah,
0: yeah, it's then, in Muncie, Indiana, and Gary Gary ooh. was the main event against Nathan Allen. Uh, Dan yeah. Severn fought on that card. Jeremy, Jeremy mm-hmm. Ford fought Noe Hernandez, so... Joe Pardot, Brad Kohler.
2: Man. And, you
1: know, if we come full circle with Jeremy Horn, uh, Jesse Jones was one of his students and – or I shouldn't say students. He was his training partner. And he was out of Omaha, Nebraska. There was a brief stand-up exchange between the two of you before you got the takedown. And after a brief exchange on the ground, um, you tend to back out and wave, you know, Jones up. He butt-scoots. You dive in, triangle arm, mm. arm, arm Yeah, I mean, it was, you, you kind of yeah. dove into a submission.
4: Dove into a submission, if I recall right, he was a little slipperier than normal. So, <laughs>
1: uh, well, if he's training with Jeremy Horn, he's probably got a uh, a pretty good roadmap in front of him in regards to how to
0: travel. <laughs> or are, you now, about, or are you talking about a, some type of
4: lotion or something? That's yeah. what I'm thinking. There's a little bit more yeah. of
3: a slickness there. Yeah.
4: Yeah. So I think he had, a, I think he had a little bit of lotion on, if I recall correctly. So. Was a the thing?
3: So a lot of times, you know, when, you know, that was very interesting. You said, I mean, you had a lot of fights and um, that was earlier in your career, but you got submitted and that was the last time. So did you really, uh-huh. you know, we, when you, when you have a fight like that, a lot of times, you know, you learn and you're like, okay, now I get, I mean, to me, mm-hmm. when I lose, I learn way better than if I win. if I win, I'm the mm-hmm. best fighter ever, when I lose, I'm like, well, what went wrong? You obviously I mean, took that. and You took it to heart. You're like, I'm not going to get submitted again. Did you really dedicate yourself to that, or what, how did that go afterwards?
4: I mean, I I would have said it would have been a couple more fights, and I probably – I mean, yeah, I would have dedicated myself more to the process of training in jiu-jitsu, uh, but I was continually learning, and typically I'm going to uh, – <sighs> try to do the best I can at whatever I'm doing, if that makes any sense. So, oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess that would have led the fire under me to to uh, learn more and I something I didn't, didn't expect at the time. And I, I don't know exactly how much longer later, but I ended up rematching him in his hometown how many years later. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. that's just very impressive, the number of the
3: guys you fought, you know, just to get submitted way back then and be like, nope, and never happened again. It's very impressive.
4: Uh, I think it was close to, like, 20, yeah. Yeah, yeah I
2: mean,
4: you've, even you've... training, I think it was, like, 20 years. <laughs> so. Yeah, right. So, in
1: essence, you're looking at a future UFC, well, a future world champion and Dave Monet. He's got two losses in a row. It just mm-hmm. been submitted for his first time ever in his career. Only in his yeah. April 4th, 1998, you fight at Wisconsin Valley Tudeau. Chris, mm-hmm. his next opponent, another 50 Fight Club member, Adrian Serrano.
3: Oh, geez.
1: So experience, he's had an
3: experience back then.
1: and That's
4: Okay, And that's he picks up his third loss. Mm-hmm. Well, kind Ooh. of, maybe.
2: <laughs> you feel the like he won?
4: It's a third loss in his hometown, and, and half the c- crowd booed, so.
3: Wow, yeah. so you felt like you won the fight.
4: Yeah, so. Yeah. Wait, was I that mean, Duke and,
3: Rufus on the promotion?
4: It was Duke Rufus, and I don't think actually even Rufus was happy about the decision. In all honesty, but
3: really, uh, see, but,
0: right um, around
4: this time, Rufus was publicly bashing mixed martial arts. Yeah, yeah, he wasn't. He wasn't super happy about it, but I think it was about getting butts, uh, people, and the things. And I had fought for him once in a leg, twice in leg kick fights. So I. Had, uh, That's what it probably was. It was probably a combined event. Yeah, I yeah it was a, it was mostly Thai boxing and we were add-ons basically. So mm. he had his he had a, the people that he flew in from and some of his instructors from Thailand were from Thailand, and he had some of his top people that were fighting Thai boxing. So it was a mixed event, and then there was the uh, the uh, Pancrase open hand uh, or yeah, there was open hand slaps because that's how what I ended up fighting. Henry, with when I fought Henry, there was open hands to the feet. So, Adrian's like a really flashy guy. You mm-hmm. know, he's always, he doesn't have one girl with him, he's got two. He,
1: uh-huh. He's wearing a bright pink, bright yellow shirt. He's one of those uh-huh. guys that you're, you know, it's him in the audience just pretty much by the way he dresses at this time. Yeah. And, you know, you two, I mean, you're a real mellow, easy guy. You guys were almost like opposites, like from a third person point of view. Like in my opinion, you guys couldn't see more.
4: I got along with Adrian. I don't know how he was on his, uh, uh, I mean, we didn't kick it. So I don't know. So, but uh, (laughs) I mean, so, uh, I mean, that's, I I, I ran into him at fights a few times and that was about it. We had good a couple of different decent conversations, but I didn't see that side of him, so I can't comment. Okay.
0: Uh, let, let me ask you, though, to you, uh, you know, out of respect, Chris mentioned you, you're, you're, you know, you predate him. Adrian's a guy who had a lot more fights than you at that point.
2: Yeah. Uh, how yeah.
0: Well, did, 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 but he also has a little bit of a pro wrestling aspect. And, and there are times where MMA, you know, he, he, I don't know if he trained seven days a week MMA kind of thing. I think it was just part of the total package with him. Did you, did you have respect for him? Why don't you talk a little bit about Adrian Serrano circa 98?
4: Yeah. I mean, he had a, uh, if I recall right, he had good, uh, position. obviously, uh, he had a deficit for striking, but, um, um, as far as boxing, this was open-handed. So, and it was in the ring. Um, but he was good at holding and getting position and, uh, Working the working the fight, if I recall correctly, I, I didn't see tons of his fights, but he had an impressive record in a lot of fights. For sure, so, for sure, he commanded not, respect. Everybody. And I think oh, yeah. he had a lot. Of, well, he came from judo, didn't he? Have some? Uh, yeah, he had a judo background and judo background. So, but so sure. he, had, he had he had some decent position, understood submissions, and understood how to early on probably maintain the uh, maintain the fight, and, and he was. A hell of a lot bigger than me I mean i this is I mean what it was Adrian 185 90 to, yeah I was, I was 155 pounder right now so I mean or less maybe 155 something like that so that's quite a bit weight difference too so so we had
1: money on like a, a couple episodes ago and mm-hmm. we talked about some of the classic extreme challenges and this is the, one of the other events that we talked to him about involving yourself extreme challenge 20 it was a title fight co-main event against mm-hmm. shoni carter uh-huh. and uh-huh. this is one of those fights where it's it's worth the price of fight pass just to go watch uh-huh. the type of shape that yourself was in and shoni was in and the way you guys went to war uh-huh. it, it's a fight that's about 10 years ahead of its time when you watch it, it, it it's, it's incredible
4: and we're fighting on the slip and slide <laughs> Literally. Is, it is it outdoors it was, it was it was outside and it was 100 percent humidity and it wasn't it was like the boat tarps so like Ooh. like pressing in or, or pushing off on the stuff so yeah I, I mean i imagine that probably added I, I know they wiped it i remember if i recall they were wiping it down in between fights but it was uh it was, yeah, it was on top of that being 20, I think was 20 minutes straight fight or maybe oh. 15 or five minute overtime.
1: That's and what it was. it was.
4: I think it was a hundred percent humidity or close oh. to it. So, yeah, that doesn't. I, that I couldn't believe
1: the shape that the two of you were in. And and it's an extreme challenge title fight. So you got a guy from the west side of Chicago, Shawnee <laughs> Carter and yourself from Minnesota, You have the St. Paul area. And it's in Davenport, Iowa. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, it's a historic event. And Miguel, I don't know if you recall, the headline was uh, Pat Militich versus Dan Sever. Mm-hmm.
0: I uh, Dave, Dave what, what, what could you tell us backstage there? What was any, anything weird going on there? Or anything with Severin and Becky Levi? Or, oh I mean,
2: man, I so- went
4: to I, I went to Ben I, um, I I know Becky had quite a reputation from what I heard. So that's um, all, all I know. So <laughs> I didn't, de- I didn't deal with much of it. And I was, I was doing my own thing. So I, I think at that point, Monty might've been man, man, Monty was managing me at that point possibly or coming close to it. And then, uh, but uh, yeah, he would have been probably managed me at that point, but um, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I know that Becky from my understanding had, Uh, somewhat of reputation, but I have no idea of any of the the behind-the-scenes stuff.
1: So, did you hear her going into the Miletic locker room stating that Monty agreed to change the rules, no punching to the face between me and Sever? You weren't privy to any of that?
4: No, I wouldn't have been privy to that. I would, like, my relationship as far as being closer to Pat and Monty and knowing their stuff would have been a little bit later on. So, I I wouldn't have known that. So you only yeah. heard about that afterwards. Okay All right. I, I've heard about it afterwards but I wouldn't have, I, I could neither confirm nor deny <laughs> <Nobody> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So but yeah so that that went that went on and I remember it being uh, obviously back and forth um, um, and then uh, being tired afterwards and I think Shoni. I think they had to take him, I think they took an ambulance I think he ended up actually kicking him and he ended from what I was told he was uh, bruised his kidneys one of the kids wow. so um, wow that's what I was told I was told uh, through the grapevine and then I moneyed in the process a couple of weeks I think he was supposed to do this, like a month later was or two weeks or a month later was supposed to do a Sanchu tournament in China and I think Monty asked if I wanted to do the tournament because he didn't know if Shoney was going to be able to do it. Shoney ended up doing it, but um, I said, fine. I would, yeah, sure.
1: Yeah, we, but, we, took, we talked to Shoney a couple, couple episodes ago, and he, he pretty much just said he, he gave it his all. Like he, and, and, you know, to his credit, that's his best win. He's got to win over a world champion.
4: It's. That, well, that, that, wasn't a, that wasn't a win. That was a draw this time. That oh, was a draw. Well, he kept
1: the title. He got. Well, wait a minute. He's got a win, just not this one. I apologize. Mm-hmm.
4: Still showing um, his best win. Yeah, yeah. From so, Chicago. Sorry. It would have been – uh, uh, there was no judges allowed, I think. Oh, that, so if it went the distance, it was going to be a draw. Yeah.
3: Okay. Okay. So, how Chris, do you feel? Do you feel like you would have won the fight or he would have? What do you think? Just back and forth, it would probably be – I think, think they've got it. They've got it.
4: as far as as far as the the power of the strikes and the combinations and me hitting him and me pushing forward if you're if by the rules that Monty explains early on if it scored that way i win the fight um it's by damage done i bruised his kidneys and i hit him more and i hit him harder um he got some positional stuff but um outside of that most i would more of the scoring blows would have been mine but in my remembrance of it. So, um, but, you know. I agree it with good. that. It was, it was mean, a good scrap.
3: I'm, I'm a firm believer. I'm a firm believer that whoever's doing the most damage is winning the fight. And, and that's yeah. what I always talk to people. And that's, you know, the judges, that's what they say is the number one criteria. Huh. If that's not happening, then position. But position's never taken over their money. Then that's what they say they judge on. Yeah.
4: So I felt, I felt like I was, getting cleaner hits tonight was hitting harder um it would have like i guess it would have probably been maybe been less entertaining fight if it would have been so damn slippery <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah but it was uh, it added to the uh, <laughs> i guess the, the the memories of the or, ordeal the ordeal <laughs> yeah yeah uh. Yeah. So how, uh, so how
0: much of a raise did you get from the first fight to this fight with from Monty? How much did you oh. get out of the big guy?
4: <laughs> no, yeah, I don't know. Pat on the back. I can't
3: remember.
0: Okay, uh, I paid him.
3: Yeah. yeah. I uh, Monty I, gets it, a piece of this, so he's probably getting a lot more now.
4: <laughs> it might have been like five hundred or grand. I don't know. Something okay. like that. Yeah. But
1: that 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 really was the paying rate right back then. Like
4: it was, I mean, it's, it could have been been less, but probably because it was a higher level fight and, and whatever would have been around that. So, um, I, I mean, I, I know the crowd was, uh, pretty, uh, they were, man,
1: it sounded like you were in a stadium. I it's, there's a level of education that came with time with the, with the live audience. And mm-hmm. dude, that audience, man, they got a treat that they got a treat that night for sure, mm-hmm. for sure. You know, and it's unfortunate it ended up with like such a turd for a main event with mm-hmm. Dan Severn kind of <laughs> passing the ball like that. But you mm-hmm. went from there to Extreme Challenge 21, where you also this is another one of these things that we talked to Monty Cox about in our interviews mm-hmm. a famous eight man tournament. Um, your first fight was against Adam Johnson. Mm-hmm. A, guillotine round one Mm -hmm. greg nelson's in your corner a very young greg nelson i might add Mm -hmm. and in your second fight this is incredible you got two future world champions meeting in the quarterfinals when you fought matt hughes
4: Mm -hmm. yeah um and that's matt's early part of his career um i know he was a high level all-american wrestler um uh and, and I think at that point, quite—I mean, quite a bit. But I would say it was quite a bit more stacked than me, or bigger than me at that point in his career. So mm-hmm. um, I had more experience. Um, my um, like, in part of it would be bad strategy, or not. I was had no intention to ever try to stop a takedown, whether I could have or not. If that makes any sense. I was my plan was to concentrate predominantly and only on submissions and save my energy for that. Uh in retrospect, that could have been a bad idea. <laughs> it probably was because he 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 obviously was considerably, you know, once you get to the fact that he's at he's quite a bit bigger in his his leverage and his strengths, maybe I should have tried a little harder to stay up. Um Matt's uh you know his 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 wrestling was a high level, especially for MMA. So whether it could have or not, but the aspect of it, I just never had any attention to really try to not or try to stop a takedown. So very much. So what what happens is Matt gets
1: several slams Mm -hmm. and Dave was mounting a heroic defense and it went the full 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And in the last 90 seconds, Dave reverses it and ends up in the mount for a brief period of time against just an absolute savage, Matt Hughes. Mm -hmm. And you obviously, you didn't get the decision at this point. Yeah, no,
4: no, I didn't. I didn't win that. I I mean, you can't, he didn't do, in all honesty, he didn't do a lot of damage. Um, Oh, that's, um, he did hit me a few times hard. I think basically off the clinch. And I think early on in the fight, I had basic, I think early on, he had, he had, I had got a thumb in the eye, and by the of whatever part of the fight I was had both contacts out. So I think by the end of it, I were a good part of half the fight, I was blind, which <laughs> um, <laughs> that also probably didn't add to do it. I mean, that that goes. I thought most of my career I had 2400, 20, 20 over 400 vision, so I can't see the big E on the board. So the point. I basically lose my contacts. I'm I'm fighting off a of field. So if you can hit me, I can hit you back. So if that makes any sense.
2: There
1: was a few yeah. times, I should say more than a few, but a half dozen times where Matt's in top position and he's he's moving and he just backs completely out because he's worried about Dave's submissions. Like Dave just keeps working submissions and he's like, you know what? let me just sit back, reposition a little bit, get another slam and just try to rinse, repeat, recycle. And it's unfortunate you get the decision. However, this is the event where Dennis Hallman um, submits mm-hmm. Matt with a guillotine in the finals where, I mean, I think it was like 17 seconds. It was
0: you know, yeah. incredibly
4: shocking. And fucking, I'm sorry. I no, know go ahead. I'm to. Uh, and Hallman was like also awesome. He's a large human being at that time <laughs> so for, for, for a 70 pound weight class. So,
0: well, Hallman uh, admitted to us that he, that he to get up to that, for that weight class.
1: He said he was too small <laughs> well, for 70. Yeah. So he needed steroids. That's his words. Yeah. I mean,
4: yeah, I mean and I was, I, I was a 70 pounder at that tournament. I don't know necessarily Hallman or Hughes were entirely at that time. Obviously Matt eventually fought yeah. that weight, but Hallman was big. So, I recall that, and I think <laughs> obviously we, we fought later in another tournament. In uh, was that in Evans? Before? I think you fought him in judo. Yeah,
2: you got judo. No, I, I, I fought him
4: in judo, but I, I fought got him. it covered. I got I got McClure. I fought McClure and Parman. I didn't fight Hallman. Hallman got beat by McClure, and okay. I, or or David, something in that tournament. David. You're ruining my stories. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I do. I gotta, but, I gotta be good at something. I mean, I, this is I, about you know, me, right, I'm Chris? About, I'm about, uh, I'm about ruining good times. <laughs> uh, if I can't, if I can't, if I can't, I'm not flashy, and I can't have fun. I gotta, I gotta screw up for everybody else.
0: Well, I'm, I'm having a great time. I don't know about yeah. you. Fantastic. <laughs> I mean, we're right at that fight right now, brother. Uh, mm-hmm. there we go. challenge 23 april
1: 2nd 1999 so this oh. is like the brilliance of money setting this tournament up dave is tournament crazy at this point i mm-hmm. i you know yeah. i i'd like a psyche veil personally mm-hmm. at this time
2: mm-hmm. um
1: he puts dennis hallman on the opposite side of the bracket so it would make you know a compelling final rather than having them mm-hmm. fight first which is incredibly smart the problem is Ken Parman wins a 15 minute decision and Ken Parman at the time is only two and zero. Dennis Hallman's 15, two and one. It's like a I really good fight. McClure
4: won. McClure beat Hallman, didn't he? Yeah. I fought oh. Parman. I beat Parman. Oh shit. McClure Go. was really good. McClure was a really good grappler or he was a megatons school out of Arizona. He was also not really big, but he had great endurance and he kept sure. on, he kept on going at him, um, And I think what. Did McClure... You're right. It was
1: your record. You're 15, two and one. Harmon's two and oh, you win a 15 minute decision. Mm-hmm. McClure yeah. upsets Holman with a split decision. Uh, yeah. McClure was four 0 oh. um, like it mm-hmm. was great scrambles on the ground. Uh-huh. Um
4: yeah, I mean, yeah. I can't comment on who won the fight because I just remember it was a back and forth and good. Yeah, Hallman, it, was, it, Hallman was the favorite in the situation. Um, McClure didn't go on to fight a lot. I think he had uh, one, what's the kid's name? He had one win against somebody, I can't recall who, that went on and I think fought in the EOC, but... Yeah, so that's what I know. But what you idea. knocked him out.
1: You stopped him at
4: 4:45. Yeah, um, we ended up in a scramble. Um, the scramble went into a, a triangle. The triangle ended up. He stacked. I mounted him in in triangle, and basically I was punching down at him. So at that point it was done. Yeah. Were, were you a little disappointed? Were you kind of looking forward to
3: fighting Dennis Holman, winning against me? He's winning that tournament. Was I mean that was obviously what you thought you were going to fight at the end
4: yeah i mean i i guess i don't know if it was disappointed i won it's tournament <laughs> i didn't cry i didn't think didn't cry too much but i mean it made me a little bit more satisfying if i fought uh i fought uh I fought dennis but i i went home with the belt and he didn't yeah. and, uh, good point you know and it was a it was a actually if i recall right it was a pretty you know the 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 finish was a, a decent like highlight deal if it would have been a highlight time because it was like a weird rolling, the position. I can't remember punching him, and his nose blew up on me.
1: So, <laughs> the, the crazy part. thing, yeah. The crazy thing about this is, you and Hallman, we've, we've we've mentioned it already, and it's not just Monty Cox that's trying to match you guys up. Um, an organization known as Shudo, obviously world renowned in Japan, flies both of you guys in to fight at their event, two very high end competitors. And, um, you know, I mean, you, you, in the pre-fight interview, you had said that you planned on standing with them.
4: Yeah. I think so. I think, I mean, it was, I would have to go back in the interview, but I would have imagined, I thought I probably had better striking with him than him at the time. So, um, I think I, uh, I mean, I'd have to go back and watch the fight. I haven't seen it for... I
1: mean, you won a decision, obviously. Yeah. And it seemed like, I don't know, you had a little bit of jet lag or something because it seemed like you were not real comfortable saying, like, hey, I plan on standing. You go out there, and within a couple of yeah. exchanges, you shoot for a takedown.
4: Yeah, so that's distinct possibility. It might have been a little, a little bit... You know, it's like, I don't know, was that one of my first long flights, probably, I would imagine? Was plus, this one of your first to, flights for a fight ever? Um, I would, I'd have to go back on the record and see, but probably, possibly, one of my I first flights, I and mean, it, was, it was Japan, and it's 24 hours, plus I was sightseeing. Here's <laughs> so a question
2: too.
4: go ahead. So I'm basically walking, probably. And I'm like, I, there's always questioning, you end up in Tokyo again. So I'm walking five, six miles before the fight every day. seeing, so yeah. and looking at shit. So. Yep. so
3: now, now do you remember probably now, like how far in advance they brought you out? Because I know for my times in Japan, it was always good if they brought you like five days in advance. Cause your first three with, days, you feel terrible. And like, I- I'm no, not going to be shoot. ready. I got jet lag. And then if they bring you in the day before you got no chance.
4: Shudo was pretty quick. I think they got like I think rings and stuff. They did interviews and stuff, so they bring you a little bit earlier. Uh, but if, if I remember, Shudo was was pretty early. So and I remember I think McClure had a split split decision loss against like uh, Paul Rodriguez, who I think fought him? in the UFC eventually, or and and beat like a young the doll at some point. Yeah, but, uh, how did I that play say- come about?
0: That that that's Dave's right on with Paul Rodriguez and and Paul actually also knocked out Holman on my show.
2: Oh, okay.
0: So so yeah, definitely a high level guy. But take it away, Mike. Sorry. Yeah. How
4: how did you land that fight? In Shudo. In Shudo, how did I land the fight? I I I think came up to Manny or something. Um, and is that pre pre Nakao or when when Nakao was right after? right after okay so and that would be my second flight so um i think i probably landed it because they were maybe they were wanting to use hallman um, um i think probably hume had some leverage in japan maybe they wanted to see the fight because they're trying to push hallman forward so they, they made the matchup that makes up so any sense and i if i i think hughes was on that card too and hughes ended up fighting uh uh Jim, some of the, i can yeah. hear a go no yeah, yeah. So so I think it was a travel package a little bit. I mean you <laughs> pay for one corner man and man here <laughs> and whatever. So and everybody gets to go. We'll get, yeah, you get- had
1: uh you had Greg Nelson in your corner Matt Hume mm-hmm. was in Allman's corner. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a fun fight to watch, you know, especially knowing the history behind it. From there on September 7th, 1999, you go to you fight on Super Bowl 13, TJ Thompson's card. You're in Hon- yeah. Honolulu you're at chutaro
4: Nakao. yeah and and Nakao was tough i mean Nakao what and i think he had wins over yuki kondo mm-hmm. uh young, young uh Ayoki aoki aoki's mm-hmm. a stud uh, pat militich he'd beat pat miletic caught him in a triangle mm-hmm. tony D'Souza, souza a few other wow. people he was a southpaw he had like a it was uh, a weird way of like setting up his body kick across the body because Pat had warned me about it and said, yeah, it, it hits hard. And and I can say that it definitely did hit hard. <laughs> <laughs> so, but he, uh, he was a, uh, uh, you know, definitely a, a tough dude and I would imagine I was <laughs> not. Favored. When I think, I think he had at some point been the Shooto champion. Um, I think he had lost it, but he had, uh, at some point, I think, held the Shudo title maybe for a little bit, so... um but to, I mean, and he, had just, he had just beat the UFC world champion in Honolulu, so, or, or, or previously, so... I mean, that was, and I think I wouldn't have been... I don't think I... I don't think it was until I beat Laverne the second time that he would have saw me in any of the ratings, in all want mm-hmm. Or maybe it popped into him with... uh I might have popped into it with Nakao, like on uh, Fight World, <laughs> Miguel, and nice. then in, into like a Full Contact Fighter. But I don't if that I don't think it might not have been until Laverne the second time because I would see these guys in the welterweights that I'm like I beat him, <laughs> and I beat him, and they're you know and, <laughs> and obviously for a second like Nakao I think popped into number one in the world, and so theoretically I beat the number one guy in the world. But when I beat him and kick became a fluke right so well the, the one interest there's
1: just two interesting things about that fight your corner you've got matt hume in your mm-hmm. corner
4: how, how does mm-hmm. that happen uh i don't i think i had some weird uh i don't know if i had a corner um <laughs> and we just and because I, I mean that's the number happened. one guy oh, in the world without a corner okay yeah yeah i think i and i was bringing uh Possibly would have had uh I was supposed to have a girl come with me. That didn't happen. <laughs> but, uh, um, it was just a fucking mess. So <laughs> I think it was might even have been part of the reason I took the fucking fight it was this chick was on was like, Oh, we want we wanted to go to Y. So I'm like, yeah, Smooth okay. move. smooth I can move. Do this thing. That's absolutely <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I'll fight the number one guy in the world and go to Hawaii. And then she fucking counted out on me. So, what is it? my, my but, charming personality <laughs>
0: well the thing about the cow too is the cow was kind of like a, a pseudo secret weapon too because mm-hmm. they had Sakurai as their big star like that mm-hmm. was and, and the cow was a guy that only guys like us know about you know what I mean mm-hmm. but yeah dangerous guy like you said when he beat Militage he was on everybody's radar he actually made has something in common with you two guys and he's made the trip to Evansville he fought, yeah. Steve, he fought
4: Steve Berger there oh gotcha huh yeah i I would have to that's
1: amazing that's amazing well the other odd thing about that fight is all all three judges are from japan Mm -hmm. and you got a a unanimous decision Mm -hmm. like that's as hard as it gets
4: (laughs) yeah no shit (laughs) (laughs) did you dominate the fight well the I won the fight and I think I, I was on top and I think even I think uh, Tank Abbott was in the crowd because I had won the fight and everybody knew I won the fight and I let Nakawa up to bang on the feet right before like 30 seconds left and people are like what the f- how stupid are you like because it was you won and so I let him up and finished hard but I'm like I guess Abbott was in the crowd cheering it on because I let him up with like 30 seconds and I from everybody I talked to I I won the fight at that point so so they were they were happy for the entertainment but um not necessarily happy for my fight iq or my intelligence for not doing taking a chance <laughs> yeah he uh and he, and he, he and the cow's dangerous he wasn't like a he great puncher but he he had a finishing like body kick In all honesty he knocked the wind out of me and i don't know how many times i've ever even had the knock, wind knocked out of me did that happen in the last 30 seconds he knocked the wind out of you earlier in the fight no, we're early on, and maybe, maybe okay. that I probably ended up wrestling. I think I caught it and took him down. But I was like, "Fuck!" And then, yeah. and, and on top of the fact, I'd been warned about it. So
3: yeah. So, so, so at this point, are you are you kind of a little bit bigger? I mean, are you up to are are you up to like one eighty? I think by, are you...
4: I'm. I'm getting a little bit bigger. Like I'm after I. Was that there was no 55? At, obviously, at whatever time. So what for a while I'm eating like six, seven meals, eight meals a day, trying to gain weight. I think it would be the next like best of the best uh, where okay. I'm starting to gain get get gain weight. I think by cow, I was getting bigger. Yeah, I would have right. been being being been, been bigger, but it it was a process of it doesn't happen overnight. So oh, yeah, um, so unless Chris. you unless you unless you hook up with Holman. I'm
1: gonna help you. <laughs>
4: yeah, let's just go with the
1: Chris, I'm gonna help you with that loaded question. Exactly how did you think right after that fight? After what? After you fought a cow,
4: like, like right after,
1: like, like right before November twenty-first, nineteen ninety-nine, at Extreme Challenge twenty-nine, when you fought my favorite fighter, Chris Lytle, <laughs> in the first first round of a tournament i want to see if he missed weight chris i'm trying buddy
4: no i did i i actually did i actually did i I, tried. I, I, am, I never missed weight the only weight i would have ever missed would have been Kuwait. um however i was probably the only one i was like two and a half pounds over and we the day it wans i had a scale in my room and i was the only one that had the scale i went down eventually we we're told they're there wasn't going to be weigh-ins, so I'm like, I'm not mm. gonna, I'm not gonna hold weight anymore. I wasn't cutting a lot. This is an 85 pound tournament at the time, and I'm not big. I was trying to get it. I was trying to eat and be as big as I could because I'm going a week and a half later to a no weight class tournament in Tokyo. So it's oh, kind of like geez. halfway in between. And that was a tournament with Nagara, Kanahari, um, Couture jeez over yeah. over him the brother jeez. So, yeah yeah who set you up I with was... that
3: one <laughs> no, no, <that's>... it <laughs>
4: sounds like a Monty's <laughs> I, I beat the first half of the tournament was I, I fought traven roberto traven which was abu Dhabi heavyweight champion right? yeah he fought Mir, not the best uh mma guy in the world but he's like he's still 230 240 6 so, and he's a world champion in jiu-jitsu so you know, I won that for the first part of it, and I beat Sakata and him, I think, for the first bracket. And then the second part of it was, uh, and we got off track, sorry. Uh, no, no,
1: no, no, keep going, keep going. We're second. The the,
4: the the second half of it was uh, um, uh, Kanahari uh, and it would have been Nagara. Um, Kanahari, which this is, a, you know, like basically 10, 12 days or 10. 12 days after i arrived back from kuwait so like i said ribs are fucked up hands fucked up can't can't <laughs> close my hand i can basically uh by the time i'm basically landing on the ground i can kind of still start to close my hand i thought i beat him stem to stern for the first 10 minute round i think there's another five um they put it into overtime um he would have won advantage uh, the first the second part of the five probably but it, uh, but the first 10 i should have been probably a 10 8 obviously wow. japan it goes to uh overtime he hits me uh off the ropes sitting on the heels i fall hit my ass i immediately pop up and punch him and i'm punching him the, bro- the ref breaks it and calls uh. it yeah. <laughs> so i'm like, Japan, I'm, like yeah. I'm, I'm like what what are you what i'm like i just hit him you can't call the fight like yeah i mean maybe it was i mean yeah i probably shouldn't have been fighting anymore at that point in my school so my hands fucked up, fuck up and at this point i gotta fight naguero so but <laughs> at, at the same time it was still ridiculous it's like come on
0: let, so, let me help out like- <laughs> let, 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 yeah, and, uh, we appreciate the story. We're probably gonna go back to it, but the reason we got there, somebody could have helped you out with Mike. That's Dave Manet doesn't not make weight, he always makes weight. That's one of those things that we Listen. always be heard about on the on the circuit. Well, my guy, my guy
1: was 175 that night. That's all I'm saying. No, my no, cr- <laughs> that's you, Chris. Absolutely. I, th- I don't even know what I weighed. I don't even know what
3: the weight I don't even know what the tournament was. What was it 80? Was it 75? Yeah. I don't know.
1: I think Phyllis may have put you in a tournament above your weight class.
4: She would yeah, never do. I mean, do I mean I, in all honesty, I don't think Chris. I was bigger than Chris at that time, so I mean that was. Yeah, uh, that's why I, uh, I, I didn't. I didn't even know what the weight class was looking back, so, at. I don't. think – I was I told mean,
3: to go there, and I did. I, don't I think. What it was I be. think you would if
4: you, if you walked in, you were seventy-five because I I had I I'd gotten bigger, but I made weight. From my understanding, the first tournament, the first best of the best, neither Holman or Hughes made weight. That's what I was told, <laughs> okay. but. And I was told that by uh, uh, obviously not money, but I was told that by Hume and Hugh uh, and uh, Hallman.
2: So okay. <laughs> Hallman said. He,
4: Hallman told he said he weighed at ninety five. Oh. He said was he, like eighty five. Whether that's true or they were they were trying to start shit, I don't know. They did wow. tell me that. I can confirm that. The yeah, they could have. They could have been kicking so, it off. Well, I look, mean, look, if, look. if you freaking look at them compared to me, they're you know, huge. A lot they're bigger. They're freaking huge.
1: Yeah. well let's, I mean, let's set the table let's if you wouldn't mind let me just kind of frame this for the people at home so extreme challenge 29 is an eight-man tournament and it features six ufc veterans in it man. Yeah. dave your first fight like in the tournament is against chris lytle mm-hmm. chris how do you remember that
3: fight going it was a rough one man i'm not gonna lie um i remember like i said i felt like he was really strong i remember thinking that and um I wasn't really, I mean, I was fighting really for fun. You know, I've been training about a year and a half. I started in 98 beginning of it. And, uh, I love doing it and I was having fun, but I, I, I'd fight over Japan, I believe by this time. And I would, um, I I never lost an American. I remember I I was like, Oh, I'm going to go to this tournament. I'm just, I fought in Japan. I can beat these guys. And, uh, I just remember being on bottom a lot and uh, having trouble getting up and on. I remember mm-hmm. I thought we kind of beat the piss out of each other. I thought, I mean, I know my I had black eyes at the end, and mm-hmm. I remember I felt like I hit you with a couple really good punches on our feet, and I was like, man,
4: but uh, I felt like I lost the fight, huh? You you hit me you hit me with an up kick. Was probably oh is the that what? <laughs> yeah, I can't he, even remember. It was right I around remember. the time I, right, would have been right around the time I started trying to stop. Uh, but yeah, you hit me with an upkick. So that's where the stomps were legal. Yeah. And so but yeah, so yeah. we got into some tussle in the corner or whatever. But that came into being a bit actually later on because then the second round of the fight, the second round of the fight, Laverne hit me in the same damn spot. So I looked by third, if I was gonna fight, he was in the finals. I looked like fucking Quasimodo. Literally. Okay. Like it was okay. like, the rest of the fucking fight. Rest of the time I'm walking around telling people. Because they, they doctor wouldn't let me fight at that point for the finals. So I'm walking around fucking Hayward uh, Casino. going, I'm, I'm human, you know, whatever the quote. I'm, uh, an <laughs> I'm, I'm not an animal. I'm not an animal. I'm not an animal.
3: Now I remember at one point after that fight, somebody's like, "Man, I don't know if he if he didn't like you or something, but he was he was more aggressive than normal. He was trying to hurt you. So it was good. I, I enjoyed bringing that out in people. But I know one point after that, Monty kind of said hey, uh, Chris, be ready because I don't know if he's going to fight the next round versus Laverne Clark. And then he came back later and said he is going to. Was there any thought of you not fighting? Because I didn't know. If anything, you heard it had to be your hand on my head. That's all I remember.
4: I think if that would have been, it would have possibly been, it would have had to do with the uh, I, – I think I would have felt fine. It would have had to do with the doctor looking at the swelling so from the upkick. So I think okay. it's like right around here. And then – like I said, by the time, um, like I wasn't hurt. I don't think my hand, I don't recall my hands. I would have still had adrenaline. So I, I would have been fine. Like I wanted to fight. He was in the finals of it. And the doctor just said, no, now, was that the best idea for me to do? Probably not. Cause well, of,
3: like, I mean, even, even going to the second round, I remember Laverne's first fight was like 18 seconds or 10. I don't know. It was something yeah. really quick. He, I mean, and, and mm-hmm. you could just tell going out there, like I felt like you and I had fought in a pretty good war because we were both yeah. are we yeah, you were tired, was, you know, and he was, was not. It was,
4: it was back and forth though. I mean it was it was scrappy. I had a lot of top position, we had a decent yeah. amount of exchanges on the feet. I think towards the end I might have caught you pretty hard against the fence. Um I don't really remember then, man. Uh, but and then Yeah, Chris, you were bleeding. Yeah,
3: I don't remember. Was I okay?
4: Yeah, and Dave,
1: when you fought Laverne Clark, he was grabbing the fence constantly.
3: And yo, yeah. Laverne
1: was—Laverne is—he's a rough dude, and <laughs> you know, like if, you look, if, like if you're a pro wrestling fan, he's more of like an ECW guy. You know, he—he's yeah. he, he, like one of the garbage wrestlers, but he hit you hard. And when you came out of the ring, uh, Monty you could see a, a younger Monty Cox interviewing everybody uh-huh. they come out of the ring. Uh-huh. And Dave, you were about to start swelling all over yourself and you uh-huh. clearly had a pumpkin head coming. Like it, you were about to look deformed based yeah. on the totality of the punishment that uh, Laverne, you know, yeah. put, put on so it.
4: So it was mostly one right hand, I think. In all honesty, um, and it was right on the spot that Chris hit me with upkick. Uh, it would, it it would, it was already, it was al- already in the process of starting. The road was ahead of me already. Mm-hmm. That makes any sense. But but and then you added- submitted him, correct? Yes, yeah, yeah. submitted him. Yeah,
3: you got it. Was yeah. a rear naked choke or something? Didn't You get his back. And- okay.
4: I hit him in. Well, I had actually whether this actually happened or not. I had him in a heel hook. And I, I hit him with a cross or a jab, and it kind of either stumbled him or dropped him, and, or he went, or his ankle was hurt from the earlier heel hook. What was the actual reality? I can't say. I know I had a decent level crank on him at one point. And I think I hit him that stumbled him, and then I ended up finishing with a guillotine, or he slipped. I don't, know. whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting.
1: So, Laverne Clark was on a fight Matt Hughes in the finals where. Chris, you have pointed out that Laverne gets a takedown and possibly wins that first round against Hughes. Oh,
3: he won the first round.
1: And you know Matt ends up winning his second tournament uh, for Mani. Mm-hmm. Um You then go on. I get my next fight on record is May 13th, 2000. WEF9 title mm-hmm. fight against uh, Pele Landis.
4: Mm-hmm. Pele Landis. Which, yeah. which at which this he's time... Not,
1: he, he's now one number one in the world. He's now number one in the
4: world. Yeah, this is
1: not your first number one guy in the world that you fought.
4: So yeah, Pele just beat Pat and uh, a couple other people, I believe. I think he went on to have he he fought Liddell, Um, lost Liddell, but lost a decision. I think he knocked him down twice. Really? Yeah. Yeah, If I I didn't I don't know if I saw the total fight. I heard that he knocked him down twice. I heard that he lost a decision. I think. What I was hearing was that Chuck out wrestled them basically. So, never seen um, that before. <laughs> That's in so Brazil. I, it's out there. I can't, I can't know that. I can't say that I've watched the whole fight. I've, I've seen, I oh. think I saw a clip of it at some point. So, and then uh, who else? Who else did Paul Pele fight? Uh, well, well, Pele
0: had the legendary fights in IVC with like Johil de Oliveira. De Oliveira. And, yeah. and uh, you know, he was one of those guys with like you know Eric Smith, pe- Eric Smith too,
4: and the, and the oh he beat he he beat Schumенко too, Evander uh, and he beat Hughes, yeah, in, so, in and then and, and Vangelista Santos, he beat him also early on, so yes. yeah, so he, has, and, he has, you know, he's a he's a dangerous dude, oh yeah, v- so, v- Vanderlei Silva, explosive.
0: and uh, that that's his team is Vanderlei Silva yeah. Rafael well, yeah, we Covero, shoot box. And those guys yeah. shootbox exactly. Yeah. So, so but, Dave, I was a judge for that fight. Lovely. <laughs> so you can yell at me now if you need to. <laughs> <laughs> now he won the decision. Well,
1: yeah. um, in that fight, how did you handle? I mean, obviously there was a lot of hype behind him, and you you keep winning by luck. You know, it's it's certainly not by design. <laughs>
4: yeah, and, no, never. And the close fights are approach. lucky too. Yeah.
1: What was mm-hmm. your approach going into this? Based the, actually, on his like, reputation.
4: Off of what I said, I think they were asking me beforehand. And they're like, Aren't you scared of this? He's got knees and elbows. And I think my response is, I was like, right. I got knees and elbows. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's exactly what you said. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. So, but uh, I was like, Yeah, I got knees and elbows. I looked at the, so this is the advantage of having me see a fight, as um, I looked at what he did well and I actually worked on like the way I set up my tie kick. I, I kick hard or at, at that point juncture in my life, I kick really hard. So instead of like kick stepping off or stepping, I developed so that I could be able to kick without the step. And that was to try to get hit, cause he charges in on his cross to try to push him off to the side and to stop his, he's dangerous coming forward. He's explosive and he's a finisher. But one of that things was trying to get, get him hitting under the ribs to keep him from like lunging in and hitting his cross the other side of it is i I started working i worked a jumping knee bar uh basically because i'd like he's got really good hips he's hard to take down how am i going to take this guy down with not using a lot of energy and conserving my energy so i worked on a jumping knee bar because if i don't get the knee bar if i get the knee bar i finish him. if i don't get the knee bar i get a top position and i don't use a lot of energy Mm-hmm. And it's not, it's unconventional if that makes any sense.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: So it's an aspect of there was a decent amount of strategy going into the fight. Like I, I, I used the kick a certain way. Um, and then the other part of it's just natural thuggishness, the <laughs> dirty boxing, the dirty boxing on the inside, and stuff like that was just, but just taken on the fly. So I know. We, uh, how was uh, Jamie Levine as a promoter? Well, Jamie was. Um, am absolutely pissed. He was livid because that was going to be his guy. So he was mad. Uh, I think if he, he could have figured a way to take the belt away from me, I think he probably at that point would have. So I and like Matt Hughes and Pele almost got to do it in the back because Matt kept on t- going to Pele, who's camping now, was camping now. No. And Pele was like irate. So what was Matt doing? Matt He's was making fun of him. He was antagonizing Pele. So, so. Now, so, uh,
3: was this was this the same weekend that the alleged uh, prostitute was he refused is that is that this weekend?
4: Yeah, 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 same same deal. Well, Pele, what you do you know do, about they, this story? Yeah. So we had Alex Davis, I just uh, heard that they, some prostitute possibly stole something from Pele. Pele ran and, ran the car down and possibly punched through the window, of some sort. <laughs> I think it was a jumping knee. Yeah, I have. I have no idea. So my fucking cat toys went off. So. So, so
1: we had Alex Davis on. Uh, he's a, a big time manager from Brazil, one of the judo coaches for American Top Team, and he talked about Pele. It, it's it, it's like the old man that doesn't know that you know he should be kind of keeping certain things quiet. He tells uh, this amazing story about Pele that is just just mind boggling. Uh, it's. He told us we're not allowed to clip it, which is why it's not clipped.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. I
1: highly suggest you go watch an Alex Davis interview because it is phenomenal.
2: Yeah,
1: um, yeah he had a prostitute try to rob him, and he ran after her naked. That's true,
3: <laughs> and tried to explain to the police, like, "No, you don't understand. She tried. You know, she's not giving me what I paid for." And they're like, "You can't tell the police you <laughs> didn't." Yeah, you didn't get
2: laid? He,
4: I don't care. He
3: couldn't understand that why they no. This is a, a deal, a verbal agreement. Just
2: yeah. Get it.
4: yeah, he didn't realize he was in the U.S. So, yeah. I, mean, I, I think he's up in New. You think he's up in New York now? Isn't so. uh, Dave, I think he probably uh, calmed down a little bit through the years.
0: Yeah, Especially if his family's asking us to take that clip down. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, yeah. What happened. <laughs> <laughs> that's what happened. Yeah.
4: So,
1: Dave, yeah. I only wanted to take you to the 2000s because. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, your career is just so enormous Mm -hmm. and what we, what we usually like to do is we try to break people's careers up at certain times and segments Mm -hmm. and really dig in on them. But I'd really like to talk to you if, if you've got time about the Warriors war in Kuwait. We
4: can, we, we can hit that, um, uh, I think I have about 20 minutes or 20% of my charge left on my phone, but the warrior's war with Carlos Newton, Mohamedov Ma- uh, for me running and Kareem to the finals. Obviously Ho- uh, Hughes was on, in the tournament and Pele. So at the time, I think at this point, we are all in the top six in the world. Cheers. So Matt Hughes, Carlos Newton, Pele, and me. I'm probably in like the five or six on the list. And Kareem is an Abu Dhabi uh, uh grappling champion, had a an out with uh Arona, which they had a basically no point match, and they uh K- I think Grim K- like slaps them or hits him, and then the sheik kit- kicks him out of Abu Dhabi. So <laughs> and the I think the the, the Kuwaiti Sheikh that put on this tournament's president of Kuwait now. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so we, that, that was, yeah, I, I, I remember looking at a news article not long, a while back, and I'm like, oh, dude's president. No, oh, that's kind of funny. We, yeah.
0: So you know, let, let's take you back, and let's, as Mike usually does, let's put some framework around this. First of all, Kareem, They mm. when they set this that's tournament the finals up, we
2: go.
0: no, but I understand yeah. that. But when they set the tournament up, Ricardo Laborio was in it. Yeah. Originally, mm. and, and Kareem, who is Kareem Barklev was advertised as Kareem Allah. Uh, and everybody's like, well, who's, who's Kareem Allah be? Oh, and O and MMA. Yeah, and he,
4: you
0: know, he was
4: converted. To, he was converting to Islam and moving to Kuwait
0: <laughs>
2: each there.
4: And he was in Kuwait for three to four weeks before any of us got there, from what I was told, or a couple months, actually. Um, what, and uh, they we got in like a day and a half to two days before the flight. That's me and, me and Hughes were were passed out on the locker room floor before the our fight school game, sleeping basically because we are still so fucking jet lagged. And there was no weigh so Cream's probably two hundred five, two hundred ten. <laughs> they, they they have another another dude that they were gonna have fight Omri that's uh, from Russia that was two hundred forty, like like McCarthy's Like no, like well they were gonna be a no WAN. so. Mm-hmm. But, and they said they didn't have a scale, but I brought a scale. <laughs> so yes. Pat's like, go get your scale. What were you and, supposed to weigh
3: at? What, what was it supposed to be? It, know, was gonna be it was going
4: to be a, it was going to be a 185 pound tournament. So, I mean, which is at that point, not a big, you know, it's not horrible cut for me, but it's still, I'm I'm halfway into trying to be as possibly heavy as I can for the fight in Japan and keeping my weight down <laughs> for this. So it's like, whatever, but I'm like I said I'm still probably a 70 pounder at that time if I'm actually cutting. Um and uh I'm um, creams 205 205 I think or 210 Did he he step on a scale. scale? Yeah, we eventually get made everyone get on the scale. Another Russian that was like 230 that was supposed to fight Omri, we're like no, nah, he's not that's not going to happen. So and then everybody else is obviously at this point not on weight because we've known for like 5 four hours and no one there's not going to be a weigh-in so everybody's that would have been making weight is drinking water or, or the people that normally wouldn't have made weight have, are still not making weight if it makes any sense I would have made weight I mean me mm-hmm. waking up in the morning I was a couple pounds like three three pounds four pounds over so I was came downstairs to look for the sauna and then I around at whatever time I was told there probably wasn't going to be a weigh-in
1: so they start them with Carlos Newton where it's one round, 10 minutes, back and forth on the ground, trading submission attempts, Mm -hmm. and you land a monster head kick towards Mm -hmm. the end of the round. And, you know, with John McCarthy as referee and Bruce Buffer as the ring announcer, Mm -hmm. it it, it did have a UFC-type feel to it. Mm -hmm. And obviously you win that decision.
4: Yeah, I mean, this is another thing about that is is part of the background of this. This is in the rules meeting for the scoring on this is, and this is why when we go back, it it was typified that as damage. Grappling positions and stuff like that were to be considered, but it was amount of strikes and significant hits that was to be scored for the fights. If we look at that, Carlos had some grappling positions, but even without the head kick, all the significant strikes were, but from me, um, every basic, he maybe hit me once during that fight twice. Yeah. It, it, it was, it's still, I mean, you, it, it, it's it was, a good fight. It was. It, and you've a exerted
1: fight. a lot of energy too. In and that Carlos
4: fight. was a great competitor. Um, you know, and he had different positions on me and, and did well, but yeah. And obviously that's a lot. It was, he's ranked in the world and it was a long, a decently long fight. So, yeah. So then you go up against Shamir
1: Maramegov, yeah. who is forty and two. That's his listed record
4: in, and, in kickboxing. Uh, he, they know. just listed
1: him as 42 I, I, I don't know about him. I think he was
4: a kick. I think he was a kickboxer. He was tough, like dude, all around. He was a savage. He was yeah. He was. Fu- I think he was a Russian champion kickboxer. If he at at fifty five in the U would be a modern day 55 UFC level competitor. Like he was tough. And that was like one of the situations where I had to stay, like immediately change what the fuck I was doing. Cause all of a sudden I'm like, pup, pup. like a, he, he hits me and I'm like, okay. So I like, I think I started ranging out with a jab. Um, are you trying to establish a jab and then break distance and use knees? If that makes any sense. Cause early on.
1: <laughs> he had an early style. That was more modern today than it was then and incredibly difficult to deal with. And he's got wins over Pele and Gilbert Evel. Well, Gilbert Evel bit him out of frustration and got disqualified. (laughs) I've been trying to track Gilbert Evel down. He's reading my messages. We're going to get Gilbert Evel on the show and and I'm going to lose my mind. But he had a very modern day type
4: type. Yeah, he's. He had great timing in uh, yeah. back and, and, and back and forth as far as uh, his, like like moving back and forth and then timing his, his hooks and his cross. And I, I remember like early on getting zapped a couple of times and going, oh fuck. <laughs> yeah. So Do you yeah. think maybe then, it's time to get this guy to the ground? Did you ever- I, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think what I think what I ended up doing is I I tried to use like I said, use my jab. I think I started to, I have a good jab when I, when I, when I uh, concentrate on it. And I think I started trying to use a jab to keep him out of range a little bit. And I might have angled out a little bit more um, if I was thinking. And then I, whenever he would close in, I think, I'd pr- I, think I was using clinch and, and knees. And I was using some unconventional knees where I, like open to a curved knee and then straight up to the head. So I'd hit him off to the side and hit some weird angles on the knees to try to basically keep him off balance. And I think eventually it probably got him down. I think that was uh, a hard
1: fight, dude. That was it a was hard a back fight.
4: And yeah,
1: it was, it was a I coin toss. I think,
4: and, I think it was, it was the aspect of, uh, knees to the head off of the clinch that probably gave me the, the decision. And I think I might've yeah. got top position once I would have to go back and look at it.
1: Yeah. That was Chris. It's a coin toss. Like it's, it's, and for him to get, for Dave to get that decision at this point is even harder because he's in kind of enemy territory. And for the finals, we, Miguel had mentioned him. He fight Kareem Barklev, who, I don't know how this guy wasn't a world champion. Like the way he fought, you know, maybe there's a weight difference. Maybe there's jet lag. Maybe there's all these other different factors that you had mentioned. He looks pound for pound, the best in the world too, in my opinion, at that time.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, so, just a little background with him You know, in, in the Arab world Uzbeks from Uzbekistan Have that Rough neighborhood kind of
4: mm-hmm.
0: so, so this guy was a rough A rough customer from the Yeah, he was, a, he,
4: he was running around, he was probably a knuckleburger Yeah oh. <laughs> and he Probably a both those
1: guys, Both those guys, yeah. money collectors And a little side yeah. note, both of them died Shortly after this tournament
4: Yeah, um, really? Yeah
0: i mean there were wars down there and like war. Said, these guys were were rough rough mm-hmm. characters i think Barkley was the kind of guy i think mike's right he was probably a guy that should have been ranked at some point or oh. could have been but i think he was better with no rules in the street in the mm-hmm. in the in whatever he came from that that's what made him really mm-hmm. dangerous is that 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 this is really nothing compared to where he came from so yeah, I think please. that's a lot. That's a lot to to face, as well mm-hmm. as you know the weight disadvantage and the fact that they had him there for a month warning. And and the mm-hmm. story he told about him in Abu Dhabi is true. He was fighting Ricardo Arona, and mm-hmm. Arona, I um, some they they were they were clinching behind the head, and at some point it got to be like they were slapping,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and there was a, a slap exchange, and I think that. They the two were prevented from fighting. The mm-hmm. sheik was asking at least for some type of forgiveness from um Kareem. And Kareem said I did nothing wrong. And they put him with his shorts on, as yeah. he was that day, they put him on an airplane and deported mm-hmm. him. Yeah. They, 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 that's the story. And mm-hmm.
2: so, yeah. so they was were he part- the guy the girl
0: that
1: gave the finger to the sheik and they were gonna cut his arm off?
0: I think he I think the finger was to Arona, but that whole exchange was he was the Sheikh's boy. That was the Sheikh's team. Arona. So yeah. so no, 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 Kareem. Oh, Kareem. Kareem. Kareem lived in mm. Abu Dhabi. He was an Abu Dhabi person, which is why he was deported. Yeah. He was part of their team. And I remember mm-hmm. Arona is also a rough kid from Brazil. They were gonna fight. Yeah. And I remember one of the Brazilian guys screaming, I don't, I don't, like from the other other side of the ring running because he was understood the Arab world that he was in, telling Arona sit the fuck down and don't get into a fight. <laughs> and Arona sat down and controlled himself. He's with Sperry too, he's a pretty calm customer too, right? Yeah. Kareem didn't have that. Kareem didn't have that piece to do that and he lost his job. And then he winds yeah. up in Kuwait, hired by another elite Cheek of that so he's traveling in real
4: yeah high, he was he high end territory he was in the process from what I heard in the process of converting to Islam maybe he was already but we were told that he was converting to Islam moving to Kuwait he was brought in early and obviously this was gonna be his uh uh coming out yes. yeah his home yeah it's King Senior Miguel so so <laughs> then uh yeah so it was uh yeah, it was in, an interesting deal the we were some that of fight. us were don't. concerned some of us were concerned about the russians afterwards obviously they mobbed the mobbed the cage after the fight a little bit and uh, they were you know we were, we had pat matt and other people and we were i think eventually we got back to the hotel or we we're at the place and Monty's like you got to give us a different hotel because we don't want to be in the hotel with these guys i mean it's one thing it's one thing to have to deal with it, but then there's also we're in Kuwait. You begin to fight or you get criminal charges or whatever. I think it's six months basically till you're basically in a court. <laughs> we are we gonna have, you know, three or four Russians that come to your or Bekistan or whatever popping up at your front door and we're like whatever. The Brazilians were backing us basically, because they were more they were just as pissed at the uh the way that the tournament got so, down as it, as as we were. So, but I mean, what's the point of taking the chance? Yeah. What did
1: you win for
4: that, that tournament? Uh, uh, gold belt. Like, like a solid on. gold belt? Was supposed to be. Well, I was told it was gold. <clears throat> I eventually had a check. It was not.
2: Uh, oh, <laughs> that would
4: have, you know, well, yeah, no. Ah, because it'd be like freaking $200,000 right now. Yeah, more considering <laughs> gold gold prices, because it was supposed to be twenty thousand dollars belt that or twenty thousand dollars of gold on the belt. Years later, at the prices then, compared to what the prices are now, would be about two hundred thousand in gold. Did it look Ooh. like actual gold? Yeah, yeah, I got it somewhere. Some <laughs> any picture? <laughs> so I mean, and and parts of it did and Parts of it looked like metal. So it's maybe gold plated. I get to have it checked again. And there was a sixty or sixty thousand dollars purse. So nice, but you know, if you, yeah, it, great, especially for for the time. If we get any farther yeah. forward, it would be a million dollar or over a million dollar tournament. So. Yep. so it would be. So Miguel, you know. who who was
1: the promoter of that event that gave him the fake gold belt?
4: Do you know?
2: Apparently, was the president of
0: the country, Mohammed bin. No, I was a,
4: it'd be the dude that organized. It would have been from Syria. I mean, the sheik had nothing to do with the organization of it. There's a guy, there was somebody from Syria. We were initially told that, I think, Monty told the guy that he the sheik and the other people that he overcharged them because he looked at the stuff. Um, and uh, somebody had made a joke that he might be taking a ride to the desert. So, <laughs> you know, I wonder if they gave him money to have a gold
1: belt made and he just pocketed the cash and goes, Oh, yeah, or this he, is a
4: gold or, belt before got. Or he got the gold and then, 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 uh, took or it. they had two belts. Yeah. I don't. Depends on who won it. Depends on who wanted it. Yeah. Who wanted.
1: If Barclay won, they would have given it to him. And the Me. caveat to that story also is Barclay, you had a lot of fight time, like in this tournament. Your durability and grit absolutely showed through just how mm-hmm. tough and consistent you were in your fighting. Mm-hmm. And, um, Bar Club was so frustrated with you that he kept grabbing the fence and yeah. he had two points taken away. Had those two points well, not been taken away? He had one point taken away. Was it one point? Okay.
0: One point. Uh, let me line it up a little bit even further just because, you know, Dave describes top six guys in this tournament, except for Kareem's opponents, who were from Spain, and I give him credit, Lerma became a good fighter later on, but I think he was all of 18 years old. And to bring yeah. an 18-year-old in from Spain to Kuwait to fight Kareem Barclay in the first round, you know, the, John, McCarthy, the, to, John McCarthy, should have said no to that one too.
2: <laughs> it's a happy
4: meal. Yeah, it was a happy meal. I had new in the first round. Um, I mean, yeah. So it was uh it was uh quite a uh uh interesting experience a lot (laughs) lot 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 of fights and i think uh, it was the the second round fight i actually popped my ribs in the second round Mm. the second second round of the fights which you you got adrenaline there isn't that much but it's still not fun
1: how soon after the event did you go and get a check to see if it was real gold
4: i mean a long time afterwards i i guess i had somebody go bring it to their jeweler and they said it wasn't so i guess so this was like years later yeah, I was just. saying oh my god! Go. Can
1: you people we? Wish-
4: yeah, it's real gold. Yeah, one is yeah. in Kuwait. <laughs> uh, it was supposed to be, so I'm not lying. I'm not purposely lying. So. No, <laughs> yeah, no, 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 we it, believe it, you. <laughs> no,
0: it, the thing about it, it that, it, like Dave said, it actually, you know. It's a it's a hit in the wallet too. You know what I mean. It's like you know they they may have put that thing away thinking you oh, know even twenty thousand in gold retirement is twenty thousand in gold. Let me put that away, buy a car in a few years. Then uh, he goes and frigging uh, gets actually, it appraised. Actually, it, it,
4: it, it can, kind of came to that because I had been dealing with some not feeling well or sick and medical wanting medical bills originally when I went and got it checked. So and uh, you know, someone, so scumbags. Right. All right, Dave, we're winding
1: up the interview. If we could throw a couple questions at you, we have a couple routine ones we like to do. Have, have you looked into the psilocybin studies in regards to um, functionality in your brain and how they kind of correlate together w- of a medicinal value?
4: Um, like telomeres or whatever you're talking about?
1: At telomeres yeah. is a little different. It's with the plasticity in your brain.
4: Yeah, like I, if, I've, if, I've looked at neuroplasticity and some of the things that help with that. So um, I don't know in particular the study you're speaking of. So, but It's, it's quite my,
1: popular in the fight world right now. Mushrooms,
4: basically. Yeah, people deal with Yeah, yeah like yeah. My, microdo, microdosing, microdosing. And then, yeah. microdosing on mushrooms. It, it creates uh, greater neural connections in your frontal cortex, helps people with PTSD, and some other things. Yeah, I've read about that. And there's like li- uh, lithium orate and some other things that are also possibly good for uh neuroplasticity. I mean, that's part of the deal with like even. Have you tried animals. it? I can't speak on that. Okay. My man, my man, <laughs>
0: smart. But Dave, let me ask you. uh You know, we know Fifty Fight Club member. A lot of fights, a lot. So how how many concussions do you think you got in general? Where was it something, you know, you because you mentioned it in the interview and I wanted to bring it up, you fought with uh, contact lenses. Now, that's yeah. just stunning. And mm-hmm. to the point where you know, at some point, I think in the UFC, you weren't allowed to use your contact lenses and you hadn't gotten your offer. Op- so, t- take us through some of that and how many could concussions I, mean, I, I
4: think I just, I must have slipped through the gaps with the optometrist or whatever when they did the eye study because even early into the UFC, i had i had my uh, i had my contacts so i guess no one necessarily asked i mean if i went to i went to pass the uh, i the eye requirements for most commissions or boxing commissions went to Benet, went to rolled me up We well, you, you know, just get the lasik
1: you never thought about getting you lasik
4: could, no i do i got i got prk eventually um, but, but uh, you couldn't you can't fight without lasik either so you need to get prk cuz the lasik does an incision but it wasn't until you know, way bit later than I'm getting PRK. And if I would have got the LASIK early on, that would have probably disqualified me from fighting. I guess we could have uh, got probably through the optometrist or whatever, um, or somehow falsified the aspect that I had LASIK. <laughs> but the incision on the aspect of the eye is uh, supposedly structurally they, they weren't. There wasn't enough data on whether there was a structural issue. With the the incision done on the eye for LASIK, where PRK is a process of reshaping, so the PRK does not uh, um, uh, cut your eye. Yeah, I believe you're yeah. in so it, it's concussions. Not, it's, not, it's not compromising the st- uh, stability or the the buttressing effect of the lens. So, gotcha, uh, gotcha.
0: So, but concussions, David. I mean, you fought a lot. Does, is that something that you worry about, or? Have, have you had, or are you feeling good or, you know, obviously you're taking care of yourself now more than you did when you were a kid, you know?
4: Yeah. Um, I guess we'll have to, we'll have to see, uh, right. Maybe the, they actually have, they have new, there was new things in, uh, um, and in, in Australia, because part of the issue with concussions over time is the plaques that forms the, theoretically, um, and there was some new th- uh, therapies using sound waves, actually the process of breaking them really? up in mice. So it was effective in mice uh, and, and shown to basically clear those things up. Um, the process would be then to see if uh, if that would affect the structure in the brain, um, when, how, how that would affect humans. But I initially read an article uh, a while back um, that, uh, uh, is possibly saying some good things about sound wave therapy for the process of some of that for like frontal cortex and other things like that as far as the possible trauma. Um, did I, You know, I mean, the fact that I, the question is, is like, if I was in a boxing gym boxing all the time, I would think I would have probably taken more damage in all honesty. I mean, I had an ability to show more of uh, hits than probably the actual hits I take. I had the ability to, I bruised pretty easy and swelled up, if that makes any sense. There's a a, a few fights where I would have taken necessarily damage or or, uh, been concussed. Um, I don't remember after a fight necessarily ever losing where I was, uh, like going out of the ring or losing memory or time. Like, Ben's fighters have been out not know where they are.
2: Mm-hmm. makes
4: mm-hmm. sense? Yeah. Even, even uh, Hughes, when he fought Pele, yeah. he, we had to repeat to him where he was and stuff like that, whatever. I've never experienced that from a fight. Does yeah. that make sense? I've been out here, here or there for a couple of seconds, but I've always been back and been aware, if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I've had Keith, Keith Wazuski, for example. He's come up to me and been like, oh, how did I win? <laughs>
4: literally so well i mean i mean so yeah from from that aspect could it uh, uh i mean yeah, that could an aspect of being hit which is a problem there's also not knowing how you win is one thing there's sometimes you lose things in fights just because you're dealing with tacky psyche or fast time too cool. I mean, that's an outside of you processing your information basically with adrenaline and 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 other things so the aspect of everything that you C is not necessarily uh, completely accessed until later right,
2: right. find scenes no. and
4: other things and then tell you that also right so you''re yeah. do de- you're dealing with a stress situation to a certain level so
0: no you're right you' keep, keep, but when they asked you three times how they won
4: yeah yeah then, <laughs> they, then, they know, then you know they got they got hit pretty hard they got <laughs>
0: Dave, it's been so good catching up with you. You know, like I said, I, I wasn't lying about that trailblazer stuff. You know, we're mm-hmm. talking about a man who's one of a kind for sure. Uh, well, thank you so much for your time, brother. Let's,
4: let's, let's, let's say us have one second because I did look at what Like, if we go back, this is from October, basically, at the point I lost to Hughes to all the way to after I beat Kareem and, and win the UFC title. If we are looking at that as far as only NHB, not MMA, I did not lose for four years in three Ooh. months. And I, that's fighting people Crazy like competition. Shoney Carter, McClure, Dennis Hallman, Macau, Laverne Clark, Chris Lytle, Fabio Anita, Jose, Traven. So that's 16 to 18 level UFC level fights that I did not lose in NHB. In in uh, MMA, because some of those are pancreas, and I would contend a few of those, I, I I would completely say were janky. One of them I lost, but I was very ill, like very ill. I was pissing blood half an hour before the fight. <laughs> so, but just just another aspect of trivia that people aren't well, aware of. Would, I Dave, mean, we, you mean, we, Dave,
3: there's there's no doubt in my mind that you know, for nobody's on top forever, but for a very good period of time. It's, it's no doubt you were, I mean, it's from the magnitude to the people you fought, you were the best in the world at that weight class at the time, without a doubt.
2: so
4: one of uh, the, I love we, putting people on that that Pardon me? Being the best. One of the best. We're, we were good. <laughs> so we kept know, back you kept You were, were one of the guys. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I mean, that's, that's one thing too, is like even looking at like, I think, what is that weird fight matrix or whatever you look at it? And they yeah. were putting me for a period of time and one of the things that's pound for pound. part of the reason is they have some weird formula but it has to go with who you fought who they fought and it's like when you go like if you look at like uh i fought people that basically you know fought saint pierre and sakuraba and kondo and whoever is Nagara couture uh, um, marie smith who's the champion so i mean that's kind of why they that kind of stuff comes up the reality is, you know, not many people know that reality of the situation. That
0: makes any sense. Let me ask you, Dave, as, as a guy who was first 185 pound champion in the UFC and, you know, all this other trailblazing stuff, do you sort of sometimes feel like you don't get enough credit? Like, does that stick with you sometimes? Are you comfortable? I, I know you're comfortable in your own skin, but does that... I mean, I, I, think
4: I, 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 I think in the aspect of like, I would prefer the... I don't know if I prefer the attention because I've never been so hot on that. I would prefer the money. <laughs> oh.
2: <laughs> there you go, so, But,
4: I mean, I get, I do get people like... like I, I was shopping for a car around like the country and people would be like, well, there's a guy that nobody knows. I'm like, well, some people fucking know me because I get a hold of two different, three different college dealerships, one in Florida, one in New Jersey. And the people are like, are you the Dave from fighting. So obviously some people know yeah. So that's but aspects of the the attention that comes with the uh, aspects of profitability would been uh would have been nice.
0: Uh, so, yeah no I, do you think uh, like Dana should call like I mean does it the hall of fame that sort of stuff is that something you think about has Dana ever treated you well, nice I mean, the the
4: the aspect of that from I mean they would have to look at the aspects of uh, MMA outside of the EOC because a huge amount of my accomplishments are not directly in the EOC. Mm-hmm. And I, and uh, um, they w- were necessarily apart from that. So I don't know how he would feel about that. And then, and, and I, even within that, like some of the other people that would have been considered trailblazers, um, they were more popular than me. Was I doing the work? I would say, yeah, I was doing the work. But, you know, how many people knew about it? If that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. So and like even some of the like janky shit, like some things come things come up on my side where I get screwed, everybody's like, oh, by the way, and the article doesn't come out. Like, but if it's somebody else, it uh it, I wasn't, you know, uh wasn't getting the support from the people. I'm you're all I'm also from a small state, you know, so Oh, as far as in early on as far as even following that stuff so you can have the people call calling up and being or bitching about that uh what a you know this happened and didn't always get the greatest support here even like what uh i, I fought not i mean how many years ago i fought Davila, which is he's a tough dude beat sprat and larson um got no press for it here or anywhere mm-hmm. else so uh,
0: yeah, aspects of that
4: aspects of that for like fighting purposes that um, just it has about making money that makes life easier right
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. no I, I, I think that that's about as honest an answer as you can give really you know because yeah. if the other you you don't have a huge outward ego that needs stroking and that's the yeah. other part of it that you know the other that's not what attracts you but if it made your life easier it's a shame it's a mm. shame because you know there's a lot of people in that boat, man. That those trailblazers, man. Excellent. Yeah. So, like I said, Dave, thank you so much for your time. We want to. Thanks, get, bud. I'm going to keep in touch. Yes. We're going to do the UFC years, and later on, at some point down the line, and mm-hmm. uh, I'll send you some links and stuff, and we'll get this out there. Just good time, man.
4: Don't Thanks, You like guys, take care.
0: Wow, oh, wow, Mike. You know, we just got done here, Dave Minet. You know, we went long again. What, uh, what, what are we doing? <laughs> I, think,
1: I think that's going to be a recurring theme from our first episode all the way to this one.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's not bad because I think I think we got him definitely talking about stuff. You know, I think he wanted to talk too. I think we got a, a talkative version too of Dave. So, uh, you know, awesome stuff, man. Yeah, interesting
1: guy. Like, um, he's the first 185 pound champion, he doesn't do a lot of interviews. Like when we first started this, essentially it's a historical collection of of MMA events and fights that took place from the eyes of the people that participated in them, and you couldn't get a better perspective of the 185 pound division than the guy that's the UFC's first you know world champion.
0: Yeah, and the, 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 to me too, it's he's a guy. He's kind of pure fighter. He's a guy who doesn't like to do interviews and that media marketing stuff stuff you know isn't for him He's, he lets his talking come in the ring so we're going to get some interesting stories out of him here too i i think because uh they'll be fresh and they'll be new and we'll see you know the bottom line is i'm going to refer you to the start of the interview where he talked about phil straffolino phil straffolino is going to be an asterisk of history but he had him broken down as a fighter as his style what how he would adapt to striking etc etc this guy is a fighter's fighter a real thinking fighter. So thank you, Dave. Always impressed and never more so than today. Thanks.